neighbor, and welcome today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Revelation. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com, and if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. We're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 18 and verse 5, and we hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. Eighteenth chapter of the book of Revelation tonight. Revelation chapter 18. It's been a couple of weeks since we looked at this. So we're going to just begin with verse 1 again tonight and go through some of the things we looked at a few weeks ago. Revelation 18 beginning with verse 1. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Now, this is the same phrase that Isaiah used in Isaiah chapter 21 in verse 9, and that's when he was prophesying of Babylon. I don't know that he realized it or not, but he was prophesying of two individual events. Some of what Isaiah said pertained to the Babylon of his day, but much of it pertains to the future rebuilt city of Babylon, which will become the headquarters of the Antichrist in the not-too-distant future. And... uh, The latter half of verse 2 says it has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Rebuilt Babylon will become the new sin city of the world at that time. Uh, The Antichrist will be for anything and everything that is against God. He's called the man of sin. And whenever sin is involved, demon spirits are behind it. And this city is going to be literally infested with demon spirits. Verse 3 says, All the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This pertains to the fact that religion is a worldwide problem. And it has been a problem since the first organized false religion against God at the Tower of Babel. Plus, the rebuilt city of Babylon is going to become a major city of commerce in the not-too-distant future. It'll be sending out products all over the world at that time. Uh, Midway, verse 3, it says, "...then the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her." This means that it has and will continue to affect the leadership of this world. 
And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Now, there's no way of really knowing what products will come out of the city of Babylon. But religion has always been big business, bringing in billions of dollars every year. And even in Christianity, as I have stated before, Christianity is not a religion, it is a relationship. But Christianity has been hijacked, if you will, and people are cashing in on it. As I have stated several times, when you go in the Bible and bookstore and you see all the different versions and translations of the Bible, understand that they cannot sell those Bibles unless it has a copyright. And in order to get a copyright of an original work, there has to be significant changes made to the original existing work, which is the King James Version, because the King James is the original uh, word-for-word translation out of the original Greek and Hebrew language. You need to be aware that changes have been made, and, and God has warned us about changing His Word. And you need to be careful of that. And people say, oh, well, Brother James, it helps me to understand the Bible. Well, if you're understanding something wrong, then it's not helping you too much. So my advice to you is if you're in the market for a good Bible, make sure you've got a King James Version. And whatever other translation you've got, just make sure you compare it up against uh, the Word of God, the King James Bible. But at any rate, there's a lot of money to be made in Christianity today. And the church has gotten rich off of some of the schemes and things that's going on, how to build your church, that sort of thing. Jesus said of the church in the last days, Revelation 3 and verse 17, He said, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That is a picture of the church in the last days. Rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. I'm alarmed today when I look at so-called Christian television, the, the number of preachers that are up there, preaching the prosperity gospel. You know, I, a lady called in on a certain program. I was watching it yesterday. Asked the pastor, I think, the name of the program. And they asked the question. The lady said, I'm paying my tithe, but I'm not being blessed. I paid my money in to this particular preacher, and he said my house was going to be paid off, and, and you know, why, why ain't God blessing me? Well, number one, and I, I agree with what one of the pastors said, the tithe is what you owe to God, you know. And when you give an offering, of course, you, the Lord's going to bless you, but it ain't always going to be in monetary form. The Lord, the Lord can bless you with good health. He can make them tires last a little bit longer. He can give you an increase in pay. Oh, God's got many ways of blessing you, believe me. But... Uh, the problem is many times we send our money or pay our tithe for the wrong reason. Uh, we, want, we want other things, and we'll, we'll deal with that in just a minute. But anyway, let's look at verse 4, Revelation 18, verse 4. 
I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, that ye receive not of her plagues. Now, this is a warning to the people of that day to come out of rebuilt Babylon because judgment is coming. But I believe it is a word for us today. Because that Babylonian spirit is very much in the church. You know, religion. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. You got a lot of people coming to church because they think it's going to earn them some brownie points with God. They're paying their tithes because they want a a bigger bank account. You see, people are doing things for all the wrong reasons. That's religion. God says, come out of her. Come out and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Let me tell you, and I said it Sunday morning, I'm going to tell you again. If you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ and you claim Christianity, you're having a relationship all right. But it's actually an affair with the great whore of religion. And the same judgment that comes upon her is going to come upon you. And I think this verse right here bears it out. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, that ye receive not of her plagues. I think all of us need to take a look in that spiritual mirror and examine ourselves to see if we be in the faith. Is that relationship with the Lord really there? All right, let's look at verse 5. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. All sin reaches heaven. Think about what I've just said. All sin reaches heaven. There's nothing hidden from God. He sees everything. He knows everything. But this has to do with the multitude of sins over a long period of time. Now, let's look at that phrase, God hath remembered her iniquities. It doesn't mean that God forgets about sin. He just forgets about it and needs to be reminded. That's not what it means. To be honest with you, the only time that God really truly forgets sin... It's when the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, has been applied by faith to the doorpost of our hearts. That's when God forgets about sin. And he doesn't remember it against you anymore. Amen? Praise God. That's when God forgets about sin. But what this verse is meaning, God has remembered her iniquities. It means that the cup of iniquity is at the brim of running over and it's time for judgment. I wonder, with the new laws that's just been passed here in America, how long before our cup of iniquity gets to the brim of running over? I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If God does not judge this nation for the sin of homosexuality, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And what really scares me about this thing is this. America has way more light than what Sodom and Gomorrah had. 
and to whom much is given, much is required. How much greater will our judgment be than that of Sodom and Gomorrah? Think of that. All right. All sin has to be judged. The sad thing about it is Jesus took all the judgment that would ever be needed for sin when he died on Calvary. He took it all. But man won't believe it. And because of that, we see in verse 6 that God uses a measuring cup to measure iniquity for judgment. Let's take a look at it. Revelation 18, verse 6. Reward her even as she rewarded you. This is the law of retribution that Jesus spoke about. Matthew 7 and verse 2. Matthew 7 verse 2 says, For with what judgment you judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto you again. Now, we're talking about the great tribulation period. A time of judgment upon this world for sin. Man that has rejected Jesus Christ days without end. He said there at the midpoint of verse 6, and double under her double according to her works in the cup. There you have that measuring cup that I was telling you about. In the cup which she has filled, filled to her double. The judgment's going to be double. It is as if though the Lord places a cup up beside the cup of Babylon that is twice its size. He fills it with judgment and then he pours it out upon the future rebuilt city of Babylon. Let's look at verse 7. How much she hath glorified herself. All religion is devised by man. It's faith in the doing of certain things to better oneself or to get closer to God. How many Christians will fast to try to better themselves or overcome sin? Or How many Christians will put an extra dollar bill in the plate thinking that's going to earn them some brownie points with God. How many Christians take a look at their church attendance and think that that's going to add up to something? Don't get me wrong. These things that I'm mentioning to you are good things. And as a Christian, you should do them. Understand something tonight. I breathe tonight because I'm a human being. I don't breathe to become a human being. I breathe because I am. I come to church because I am a Christian, not to become a Christian. You, you see where I'm going. I do these things because that's what I am. Now, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2 and verse 8, a very familiar passage of Scripture. For by grace are you saved through faith, 
that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Religion always boasts. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what I've done. I've paid X amount of dollars to the church, and that's going to do so much, and the Lord's going to smile down upon me. If your faith is in that, then your faith is misplaced. It is the exaltation of self. The doing of religion is salvation in the performance of the individual. If I do so much, then that saves me. You're not saved by works, you're saved by faith. Jesus addressed this question in Luke chapter 9, in verse 23. You've all heard it many times. Luke 9, 23. Jesus said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Let's look at that closely. Jesus said, If you're going to come after me, then you're going to have to deny Yourself. What exactly does that mean? A lot of people seem to think that, well, that means I can't put sugar in my coffee. Or I can't put sugar in my tea. I can't eat candy bars. I can't sleep on a soft bed. I have to deny those things in life that are pleasurable. That ain't what the Lord was talking about. Denying those things won't save you, okay? But when he said you've got to deny yourself what was he talking about he was talking about denying your own personal strength your own personal ability talent education i can go on those things which are indicative of being a human being you have to deny all of that and then he said and take up the cross you know a lot of people have a misunderstanding of that Take up the cross. You know, somebody gets in a bad car wreck and their back gets messed up and they have to live the rest of their days in a wheelchair. And someone would look at that and say, well, I guess that's just the cross that he has to bear. Being in a wheelchair for the rest of your life ain't going to save you. I mean, you know. You look at someone going through a bad time, well, that's just the cross they have to bear. Suffering has not saved anyone. If suffering could save somebody, then Jesus suffered on the cross in vain. So what, was, what does it mean then to take up the cross? It simply means this. First of all, you deny yourself. Understand that you can't do anything to save yourself. Take up the cross. It is a faith thing. You put your faith in what Jesus did at Calvary. And you are experiencing what Jesus paid such a price for you to have. 
What all did Jesus pay for you to have? Everything. Everything. Philippians 4.19 says, For my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What do you need? What do you need? Well, I need a touch of his spirit in my life. Jesus paid for it at Calvary. I need healing in my back. Jesus paid for it at Calvary. I mean, I can go on and on with that. Brother James, I need some help getting my bills paid. Jesus paid for it at Calvary. Everything you need is in the cross of Christ. Everything. He paid a price. And we have to apply that every day. And understand something else, too. Take up the cross. When a man took up a cross back in Old Testament times, he knew that he was not coming back. When he took up that cross, that cross was going to do its job. And that was to completely eliminate the individual. When you take up the cross, you've got to understand that you are about to die. I ain't getting a lot of amens tonight, but that's, that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit in your life, is to get you and me out of the way so that more of him can flow through us. We have to die. Die to self daily. That's what the Apostle Paul said. I die daily. He said, take up the cross daily. Daily. Every day you understand that you cannot live this life yourself. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself. Understand you've got a sin nature. And things can happen at times, and people pull out in front of you in traffic, and you'll be said something you shouldn't have. And only the cross of Christ and his shed blood at Calvary is going to wash that sin away. You renew your faith in the finished work of Christ every day, daily. Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, deny yourself. Take up the cross daily and follow me. Now, when a person does this, in essence, they are giving their lives to the Lord. In effect, saving their lives. That's what Jesus meant when he said that whosoever will save his life will lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. That's what he meant by that. But when a person tries to get to God within their own strength, ability, that's religion. That's religion. I know I was looking at a program the other day, and it was showing people climbing up some steps, and they were kissing the steps and licking the steps because that was supposed to get them some brownie points with God or something. And I'm like, really, people? I mean, all these people climbing up these steps, you know, trying to... I don't know what they were doing, but that's religion when you get right down to it. And the sad part about it is all of their doing, trying to save themselves, they're going to lose their way. And they're going to end up in a devil's hell, and they're not going to understand why. It's because they were trying to do it within themselves. All right, Revelation 7. Again, 
she hath much glorified herself. How much she has glorified herself and lived deliciously. The main focus of religion is on earthly rewards. But listen what the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3. He said, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. You know, I'm alarmed today when I look at the amount of preaching that comes over television. You know, if your faith is up to where mine is at, you can have a big bank account and you can get a, a better job and everybody's going to be driving the nicest car and the nicest suit. Jesus was rich and you need to be rich too. If you ain't rich, then your faith ain't up to where our faith is at. I don't know about you, but that sounds like earthly things to me. My, my focus is not on the earthly things. My focus is on the heavenly things. He said, build up treasure in heaven. Where, uh, where rust and moths can't corrupt and whatever the case. But anyway, he said there in verse 7, So much torment and sorrow give her, for she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. The great whore of religion, the Babylonian spirit, proclaims herself as a queen, but God refers to her as the great whore. That's Revelation chapter 17. The Babylonian spirit has held such sway over the masses of humanity for so long. She thinks that she will hold this position forever and says, I have no sorrow. But God has decreed for her much torment and sorrow. All right, let's look at verse 8. Revelation 18, verse 8. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. This is the seventh vile judgment of Revelation chapter 16. If you want to flip over there and take a look at that, I think Haven may put that up on the screen. Revelation 16, uh, move down to verse 17. Revelation 16, verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. This will be the greatest earthquake the world has ever known. Right here, Revelation 16, the seventh vile 
judgment. It will totally destroy the city of Babylon as well as many other cities. This earthquake is going to create tsunamis. If you'll look in verse 20 there. It says that every island fled away and the mountains were not found. A tsunami so big that the islands of the sea disappear. That the highest mountains are no more. That's got to be quite severe. Revelation 18 verse 8 says, And she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. When that earthquake takes place, there's going to be gas mains that will burst underground. Gas tanks at gas stations will rupture. Sparks from power lines everywhere. The city of Babylon is going to be a raging inferno when this takes place. All right, look at Revelation 18 and verse 9. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. No doubt when this takes place, there's going to be newsmen with cameras taking pictures of this city and all of this destruction. And as this scene is portrayed all over the world, many are going to mourn over its destruction especially the kings of the earth who had faith in this city. No doubt they've got billions of dollars tied up in this system, in this city, and now it's all completely destroyed. And the Bible says they shall bewail her and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. It's going to be total destruction when God judges Babylon. the program today has been a blessing to you we hope and pray that you'll share it with others this podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry go to establishedinthefaith.com click on the donate tab all donations are safe and secure through paypal we look forward to hearing from you